Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday night. I have a ton of work, so I'm trying in the interstices between here and college stuff, you know, it's the end of the semester, to uh, do knock out some of the uh, podcasts for the week. So let's do the partial one now. I'm Harbuchu Kosei tonight's. Um, podcast is being sponsored by Mark Zolte from uh, Toronto. This is uh, in honor of his grandmother's first yard set. I see 23 yard. That should be two days from today. So the yard set would be Wednesday. Uh, Rachel Bas Moshe Katz, <coughs> as they sing in Shamashav <coughs> Thank you for the sponsorship. Now, uh, obviously, we're looking at the Tocha over here. The Tocha is a deep subject, but. Um, it's weird how some of the stuff jumps out at you in light of the of the, the Maroon uh, junk, you know. this trashy. Let me let me pull out a Chumash. Did you notice? Well, you didn't notice because you didn't see the Parsha most likely. Unless you're like me, you do the uh, Shnai Mikro, you know, sort of, uh, what's the right word? Uh, obsessively, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> early in the week. <clears throat> but he talks about, I think this is freaky. You'll start to see this from all kind of people on the internet. Uh one of the curses is people stumble over each other as if they're being chased by the sword, and they're not. You won't be able to stand up. I mean, that's what happened with that crowding, rushing business <coughs> in the uh, in Moron, as we all know, tragically. Uh, and in general, this directed my attention, as it cannot help to, because you always look to Parsha of the Week in the context of the events of the week. Um... My son is in yeshiva in Israel. The yeshiva sent out today, as is proper, that they're getting PTSD specialists and all that kind of business, because a lot of boys were there, or they have friends that were hurt, and that sort of thing. And, you know, post-trauma is something that we no longer make light of, uh, because these things have long-term effects on people. And so it was good that the yeshiva was trying to get out ahead of it, ahead of the curve, and say they're already on top of it, which is good. All of which points to... <clears throat> Something I ordinarily wouldn't have given so much thought to when you look at the at the Torah and that's the discussion about the survivors, Hanisharim Bochem, which is kind of interesting because the Torah is tremendously negative, as we all know. It involves Korban, it involves uh, ratcheting up the uh, the terrorists because you Holichemibi carry on the Holichemibachamas carry, you know, as everybody knows. And uh, but before you know it, they're eating their children and all this horrible stuff. And then uh, they hit rock bottom, and then he starts saying, "No, it's not over, because even those who survive." This is like a phenomenon in Jewish history. I tell you, I was reading that book by um, Adam Teller, a new book out on the, uh, I guess you would call it the the aftermath of the Gzeris Tachvatat. Let's put it that way, which is a month away, twenties of Sivan. And, um, oh my goodness, you know, the descriptions of the survivors who were captured and sold into slavery as at that time and all kind of terrible things. It was a hell of a life. 
and the women had a double heart, as you can probably imagine, without going into details. So there's the consequence of the Nish'arim Bochem. And in other words, what the Tochacha is saying is, it's not true that once the Korban has exhausted itself and all the terrorists have been leashed, then there'll be like a happy ending. When a happy ending knows the stuff will be over. Let me give you an example. When World War II was over, so uh, it was like a day and night. You know, all of a sudden, you know, they're free. Now, people had memories and, like you say, traumatic uh, stress. But, and they had Marach Bavava. I mean, that is true. But the basic thing was over, okay? Uh, they weren't terrified anymore. Masha'en came, the way it's described over here. Anisharim b'chem heimesi Marach Bavava b'yartzis heveim v'radaf v'sam kol el l'nidof. That they'd be terrified at any boo and ba. Uh, now, some people were victims of the Holocaust. I actually had an aunt like this, my mother's sister, and she was like that for the rest of her life. She just couldn't get past it. She suffered in Auschwitz and all that. It's not her fault, obviously, <clears throat> but her nerves were just totally shot. And even a driven leaf, as it says, a fallen leaf, you you, you think it's an enemy coming to get you, and you super freak out. <clears throat> I understand that. But enough flu, uh, you know, ain't rodef. They'll, they'll fall even if they're not being pursued from the terror. So there is that aspect of the Tochah, no question about it. Uh, what strikes me as particularly um, relevant, sad, is when it's uh, and many of the survivors will just melt away in the land of their enemies. And we don't acknowledge usually in the Jewish history books, every time there's been a Chorban, there's been a ton of Jews who just left. Judaism, I don't blame them. You know, saying, I mean, I get it. I hear the art. I'm not justifying it, but I, I, I do hear it. If you live in the time of the Chorban of the Romans, a zillion Jews probably said, I'm out of here. No more this Judaism business. Because it's just a bummer, you know? Uh, I hear it. Or after Chmelnitsky, or how many Jews, at least 50% and probably three quarters percent, and 75% of the Jews in Spain simply gave up Judaism. You understand? Because they couldn't take it anymore. They literally melted away in their sins. That is to say, they they, they left Judaism. Uh, that's part of the Tochacha. Maybe it's the fault of the parents. You know, I don't want to get into the details of that possibly because the Mepharshim pick it apart. I mentioned it somewhere else tonight. You want to get a good translation, uh, get Arya Kaplan. But I warn you, he does not really translate, but he, he's a very free translation. He sacrificed a lot less, you know, he really does a lot of cutting and pasting of his own stuff in order to impose coherence on a lot of places in the Tocha which are not coherent. Uh, that's the problem with good translations. They're more about the translator than the original. <clears throat> but still, in my opinion, you have to start with getting a, a logical and coherent uh, translation of something. And then you can be my eye in, you know, in the Ramban and this and that and the other uh, to see how, you know, they can pick apart uh, as is necessary to deconstruct the verbs and the unusual words you find all over the Tocha or anywhere else in the Chumash. And he says, Some of them will confess and they'll acknowledge what was going wrong. Uh, and some won't, <laughs> you know, and some will not. And <clears throat> again, we see this, uh, actually, you, you see the problem with confession with the maroon, right? And everybody's pointing a finger at each other. But I won't go into that. Broadly speaking, when you look at the Tocha, obviously, this is history before it's happened. This history before it happened. Pretty much Moshe Rabbeinu, God, is putting out a marker out there and saying, listen, there will be holocausts. There will be Chorbans. 
don't say when it happens that, you know, God fell asleep or he's uh, abandoning you or something like that. He's punishing you. It's part of the deal. Uh, in other words, for a believer, if somebody said like this, how could Hitler make a Holocaust? You say, well, it's in Bukhukosai. You see? Or in the other place where in Kisava, it's there. Now then the person will probably come back and say, I can't believe in a God like that. Have it your way. But it's there. It's written down beforehand. You get it? That is actually how the Jewish people mentally survived the various uh, tragedies that they had over the centuries. And they said, this is written, you know, when the Cossacks and the Inquisition they had this, that, and the other, the blood libels, who knows what. They said, listen, you know, it's it's in the Chumash. Uh I had hoped that it wouldn't happen in my time, but, you know, it's in the Chumash. And, uh, and we can't say that we're all perfect and blameless. And therefore, <clears throat> you know, this is how Jews interpreted the uh, the misfortunes. And to be perfectly honest, the psychological ability to interpret misfortune is the key to survival. Because you can never control what happens to you. You can only control how you react to it. That's the truism in life. Correct? Agreed? You can't control what happens to you. I mean, very sometimes you can. But very often you can't control what happens to you. The only way you can, the thing you control is how you react to it. How you act under pressure. That would be a Stoic kind of art. You know, the Stoics say, what happens, happens. It depends how you take it. So, um... If you interpret, uh, what shall I say, things as, oh, chicken little, the sky is falling, and it's all over, and God has abandoned us, and, you know, the Jews are gone, and whatever, all right, then you will leave, you'll drop Judaism, you'll, you know, just leave the team. You won't be part of the uh, the story. And uh, this is, again, uh, you know, predicted when he says that the, the, and you find this very heavily in the book of Daniel, when he talks about the Third World War, the final, uh, you know, uh, cataclysms of Mashiach, the pre-Messianic wars, what we call Gog and Magog, and he says, you know, the, many will be uh, burned and refined, and then there'll be another burned and refined. That is to say, each misfortune, like a certain Nisayan, to see how many hold out, until there's only a, a small handful of the true and blue. Now, you say, like, that's a bummer, you know. Uh, why do I have to suffer if I want to stay... Part of the Jews. Well, it's in the Tochacha, you know. It's in Daniel. It's part of Jewish religion. It's, it, it's not one for, uh, you know, uh, happy, happy, but <clears throat> there it is. Now, the question then becomes uh, the following. Uh, what if people can't handle this broadly? Here you have something, in my mind, very interesting. And I'll tell you what I mean. There is, as we all know, two Tochachas, one in Bechukos and one in, uh, in, in uh, Dvarim. Kisavo. They're not identical, broadly identical, but there are differences between them, important ones. And that has led commentators to speculate over what the predictions are. Uh, I remember, you want to see a digestivist, get that uh, Nachshoni, you know, get in English if you want. Nachshoni, you know, in the studies in the Parsha, I remember seeing many years ago, he kind of lines them up for you. So, for example, the Ramban, who goes to town on this, if you into that, He'll say that Bayikra is Bayis Rishon and, and the Dvarim is Bayis Shani. Okay? And he even reads history books to back up his opinions. It's kind of interesting. Again, so it's, uh, he's Bayis Rishon and he's Bayis Shani uh, in, in Dvarim. Um, however, not everybody agrees with this. And the Abarbanel uh, goes after the uh, Ramban. He says, you're all wrong. But rather, both of them speak about everything. You understand? 
as he, as he puts it. Uh, the Abarmanel says, Haramban Kosov Shahamusa Harishon Shabahoya in Kisavo Nemral Khorn Bay Shani. The one in Dvarm is a Bayshani, and the other one's on Bayashrishan. Vivimasharatsa, and he brought whatever he wanted, and so on and so forth. Venerly Shana Dover came, but the Rabarbanel says, I don't agree with this. And he goes through a whole concept about this. And in the course of this, he's extremely original in his historical interpretations. But in a scary way. <clears throat> and I'll tell you what I mean. What is a shot by Yisrishon by Shani? It's a famous question. <laughs> Why is it that God did a by Shani at all? Why don't you simply say like this? There was a by Yisrishon. The Jews blew it. Basimish was destroyed. The Jews went into Babel, into exile. And they remain in, in exile until it's finally over. And Mashiach comes. And it's, you know, Lene Tzachnitzachim and Olam Void. From now on, we're in the Gula. Okay? Let's say, for argument's sake, the Mashiach is coming this year, 2021. <clears throat> right? You're supposed to believe that. By the way, i got to tell you this. I saw someone ask me a question, a shyla, actually. A professor friend of mine, you know, from Italy, about moving coffins inside a mausoleum. And, um, I don't know, you know, I'm a coin. I'm usually not into these sorts of things. But by the time it's all over, there's a note of Yehud on it in uh, Yordeo, uh 89. And uh, and he says, the note of Yehuda now, there was a question in Prague, I think, that um, there was a cemetery, but it was, the cemetery was leased. So when the lease is up, the Goyim will come and plow it through. So can you remove the bodies from one cemetery and move it to another? If they buy a piece of land, it'll be permanently owned Jewish. I think that was the question, if I remember. And uh, and if so, should they start moving the bodies now? Or should they be Kanal Haba? It's an interesting question if you're into those kind of Shilas. You know what I mean? It's an interesting question, those Shilas. The point is, I'm looking for a Heter for the guy, and the nobody who does a Heter. Because he says, once it's just bones, you can move it around. When it's a flesh, no. But when it's just bones left, and that was the situation over here. There are other factors involved as well. Uh, you know, Muslim is not underground, but whatever the case is. And in the course of that, the note of you says, don't move the bodies from the old cemetery to the new one. Even if you tell me you have a year or two to go, the Mashiach might come uh, before that. And we have the Tachis Mason, and be wasting money. What, you don't believe it? You see? He had a big amuna, you see? <clears throat> he had a big amuna. So we supposed to have the amuna. So why isn't it that the base of English was destroyed by its region, and the Jews wait until they get it right? And let's say it takes the year 2021, so 2021 AD, CE, you know, English calendar. So what you'll say is, from the destruction of the base of English, let's say for argument's sake, 586 BCE, until 2021, now is the Gaulus, and then it's over in 2021. Vos that after 70 years, after destruction of Bayes Rishon, the Jews were permitted to come back, and within 20 years or so, they rebuilt the second temple, and the second temple lasted another couple hundred years, and then that too was screwed up, and that got destroyed at Kohena Kahina. Why even make a Bayashini? Why get the hopes of the people up that this is epic something? When it was like doomed, you understand? And the real final temple that we associate with the Mashiach was in the cards for a long, long time later. Uh, this is a classic question. It's a good question. Now, it's what you call historiosophy. You're trying to understand 
how God operates in history. So you never know. But inquiring minds want to know, want to speculate, want to figure out. It's a good question. What do you claw? What's the whole shot of the Baishani? Now there is a whole chapter in Daniel with the seventy weeks. I don't want to go into that now. <clears throat> but I'll tell you what the Barbano says, or at least as I understand him say, and it's very interesting. Very no gay. Um, basically, uh, the Torah is pretty harsh, and it assumes that the Jewish people, as Jewish people, will go through the whole business uh, as far as God is concerned, meaning as far as the externals are concerned, the Goyim, I won't totally wipe you out. I won't ever totally wipe you out. That's what you call the, the guarantee, the insurance policy of Klal Yisrael as such. So as far as the government concerned, at the last minute, Hitler will get killed. At the last minute, this, the people will survive. Maybe not many, but some will survive. That's externally. That's on the part of Hashem. Right? But it's not internally. It's totally possible for the Jewish people, even the whole Jewish people, as far as subjectively is concerned, to say, we're out of here. Right? We're out of here. As a matter of fact... No, the, the, the destruction is too much. We don't want this. We as a claw don't want this anymore. We live like I am, just regular life. We'll blend into some other nation and go murder. Believe me, plenty of people felt that way when the Holocaust was over. Uh, I get it. It was a famous Arthur Kessler, famous writer, a genius but a weirdo. And he said from now on, everybody should marry a guy, move to Australia somewhere, hide your Jewish past. And within a generation or two, no one will remember who's Jewish anyway. And he said, because otherwise you're a hostage to the next Hitler that shows up. I hear the vart, you know, I get it. Now, the thing is, um, that's if, you know, that bespeaks a mindset in which you say people, you know, can't handle this anymore. I get that. <clears throat> now, what what happens if the Jewish people feel like that in general, the rove, if not everybody, uh, well, this was the situation after the Churm Ba'ezrishon. If you look in the book of Yecheskel, I'm sure I've mentioned before, he says that, you know, in the words of the Chazal, Rabo uh, you know, Avodav uh, Lami. If a master sells his, his servants, then who do the servants belong to now? The new owner. And since they said God could not protect his temple from the Babylonian army, obviously the Babylonians captured it. So uh, we must belong to Nebuchadnezzar now. And if we do, we don't have to keep Shabbos, we don't have to keep kosher. It's bad that we're slaves, but you know, let, let's make the most of it. <clears throat> let's make the most of it. And uh, God was very angry about this, it says in the book of Cheskel. And he says, that your plan to abandon Judaism in mass will not work. I will pour out a, a total fury and rule over you whether you like it or not. Which means that Hashem said, I have a bag of tricks. And if I want to, I can make it that it's impossible for you to leave Judaism. 
it, it will be no escape. Now, uh, in our recent past, this happened. With the rise of modern anti-Semitism on a racial basis, not on a religious basis. We all know Hitler was interested in killing anybody who was racially Jewish. So if you, right, the whole modern movement of anti-Semitism is based on notions of race. Once a Jew, always a Jew. And um, uh, in that regard, it's different than the old Christian and Islamic uh, racism. Uh, you know, hatred of the Jews, which was religious-based. Then you could get out of it by converting. As we all know by Hitler, you can't, because the Jews are be'etzim and evil, therefore they have to be exterminated. That's the way the argument went. And as the meaning of that, of course, is if you're born Jewish, there is no way you can escape your fate you know, from Hitler, or the Hitlers, or the wannabe Hitlers, because they'll go by you on a racial basis. I, race is not true. That's what modern science says, but the, you know, there's always the, uh, what's the right word, the uh, anti-vaxxers, you know, it's all the people who don't believe in science. They say race is true, and consequently, we're going to get to choose and kill them on that basis. So uh, that's just an example of what God says when he says, I think that's the passage, I'll pour over you outrage, outstretched fury. I'll create it that you can't escape being Jewish. So all those people, for example, in Europe, a hundred years ago, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, who uh, converted, and they converted along the lines I just described, and there were many. Do not fool yourself. We don't like to talk about it, but there are many Jews, especially in Hungary and places like that. A ton of Jews converted. Mamish based on the idea of the heck with these tocha, but we don't want to live a tocha life. We'll just merge with the Hungarian nation, or the French nation, or whatever, German nation, or whatever it is. We don't... Being Jewish means you always have a, a, a gun cocked at your head, called the tochacha. You you screw up, and then terrible things happen to you. We want to get out of here, right? And then God played a joke on them, a cruel joke, and he said, I'm inventing a Hitler, and all you people converted was a brachal batal, because you're going to go to Auschwitz anyway. This is a truism that I think most of us are familiar with as a double pushing. <clears throat> now, now, um... Well, everything I just said bespeaks a mindset in which the public, as a mass, says, I can't take this anymore, right? I can't take it anymore. And what I just indicated to you was that this really happened after Korm Bais Rishon. Uh, they said, we can't handle it anymore. We had enough. We can't handle it anymore. Um, so I think, this is my opinion, in light of, we're talking about their barber and all the rest of it, I think you can say like this, if I don't give them a bayashani, if I don't give them something, some bone to have a hope, uh, then then most Jews will just leave. But if we give them a bayashani, it makes it look like there's like a shtigl pekita, you have kedusha shnia shel, uh, you know, Eretz Yisrael, you have another base amigdash, that gives a shot in the arm and encourages those who otherwise would leave, to stay. So in other words, the Bayashani whole episode was made, obviously in hindsight, not to bring the final Geula, because it didn't, and, you know, it went down in flames. But it served its purpose in preventing mass exodus from Judaism in the time of the period after the Chorban Bayis Rishon. That's, I think, the, the way to understand it. The Barbano does not say that. He has his own opinions about it, right? He, but he, he, well, he doesn't say it the way I said it. He says, 
that it was a, a chance for the Jewish people to do Teshuvah. It was an opportunity. I mean, I guess that's a way of looking at it. I don't see it exactly that way. But, you know, it's true. It was a chance for the Jewish people to do Teshuvah, and they blew it. <clears throat> I think it's not even a question whether it's a chance to, to do Teshuvah. If you don't give them something, it's too much for them to, 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 to endure. Very few people, if any, can say I'm willing to go through endless Hitlers. You understand? Uh, I mean, they, they can't handle it. You have to have, you know, something positive out there, a candy or something, to show that it's possible to have a, 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 a broad Jewish life. I'll tell you what I'm going with this. Many people know, and I believe Rabbi Salvechik made a speech about this, in 1945, the Jewish people were in bad shape. If they didn't get Israel a couple years later in 48, 47 was the UN thing, a belt of Jews simply would have dropped out. I'm talking about just would have left the Jewish people in whatever way they're talking about, whether they're Arthur Kessler way or some other way. It was too much. You understand? It's too much. So the state of Israel, imperfect as it is, Baishina was also imperfect, very imperfect, on many levels. But Zappis is a Bikita Alma. You understand? It's something. It has possibilities, just like the Baishani has possibilities. It has given the Jews a shot in the arm. And as a people in general, you know, even the the, the biggest from people, they won't admit it, but give them a, a, a positive feeling, you understand? Uh, and to survive the, the aftermath of the Holocaust. And... I think also to survive the um, what do you call it? Survive the the uh, the challenges of modernity, because if there's no Israel, you just had the modern Western culture. Uh, people may fool themselves into thinking, yeah, be from in America, in Baltimore, New York, this, that, and the other. So you would stay from anyway. I think we use Israel, the whole Israel experience. Each group uses it its own way, you know. Some people use it for the yeshivas in the gap year. Some year a different way. Every every group out there, every firm group uses its own way, <laughs> which is fine. But if they didn't have that, it'd be very hard to keep anything from going, in my opinion, in this country and around the world. And remember, all the Jews would then be living around the world because there wouldn't be any Israel. You understand? There wouldn't be any Israel. So... It's an example, and th- I remember every salvation said, I think, I believe he made this speech, but, you know, he's not the only one. Uh, I think I remember seeing this in those old Yiddish articles when I was a kid, I used to read in the Algamani Journal from Dr. Hill Seidman, who was a very, very good writer in Yiddish, excellent writer. And I think you say over the dry Torahs of big rabbis, and that was one of them. And if it wouldn't be for that, you know, then, then it'd, be, it'd, it'd be too hard for the Jewish people to survive. Um, I think we take for granted, you and I, how much of a chizuk, the Messias of Israel, meaning a whole bunch of Jews in Eretz Israel, you go to a Jewish country, as a Hebrew, you know, we, we, we get a charge out of that. Uh, the Jews in Israel, of course, do, and the Jews in Chutzlars as well. If there was nothing, it'd be pretty tough, I think, especially in the 40s and 50s and afterwards. And then you, you you match that together with the fact that not only of the wounds of the Holocaust, and there was nothing to repair the wounds of the Holocaust, 
and they get hit with Western modernity, which demands more and more conformity. Madoch, uh, right now, we're being hit constantly with tidal waves of conformity. Uh, you can't say this about this. You can't condemn that sexual thing. You can't do this thing. Again, you know, you got to keep your mouth shut on a lot of areas. Uh, it's be hard. It'd be very hard, in my opinion, uh, to maintain the kind of flourishing from Judaism that has emerged in the post-1945 period, which has astonished and surprised the world. Nobody figured it'd be around now. Uh, and so, because it is, the the uh, Israel sort of ser- serves this, uh, you know, I don't know what the right word is, shot in the arm type of art. The way that Barmel is discussing when he talks about the 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 uh, tochachas, the two different tochachas and how they're working. Now, he will understand um, that it's all going on all of them. I kind of like his approach myself. He has a lot to say on the subject of the survivors because he survived 1492. In fact, uh, he went from, from Gullis to Gullis, first from Portugal, then Spain, and then from Spain to southern Italy, and then from southern Italy elsewhere when that was invaded by the French in 1497, you know, the whole story of that Barbanel. And he understood the Tiltula business, you know, the going in exile. And when it says, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. You understand? And, you know, it's when you see it, it's, it's pretty bad. And the idea of, of uh, Kol Olen Nidov, that people are terrified by the slightest business. I mean, that is how the Jews lived under the Inquisition. You know that. He talked, he mentioned this over here. It's in this, uh, the Barbanel here, and also the Barbanel in his very long commentary on the book of Daniel, okay? Um, what's it called? Mashmiya Yeshua, I think, or something like that. And it's very, very detailed. And uh, he discusses these kind of terrors that are in there. In our time, we're not sure how to deal with the survivors in the Sharim Uh It's a big issue. As you know, as I said before, they're trying to figure out how to deal with the survival of these little things in Israel, you know, like the Maron. But unfortunately, there are families all the time from the Piguim, you know, the terrorism business. And you can be sure, whenever they go to one of these terrorism situations, of course they bring in the cops and the army all the rest of it. Yes, they do that. And of course, they bring in the Red Cross or whatever these really Red Cross, the medical teams. Obviously, they do that when it's a pigua. But now they also bring in the uh, stress uh, teachers. You know what I mean? The people that deal with the with the post syndrome, uh, because it's a terrible business, and you have little children sometimes that are like that. And um, anyway, the, the 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 notion of what happens to the people when who who, who who somehow or other, Nisharim, who survived, in my opinion, speaks very, very uh, powerfully to our generation. Now, maybe because I'm the parent, the child of survivors, if you're a children of, that, you know, were in America all the time, I don't know, maybe it doesn't mean that much to you. Uh, I get that. But uh, a, a big portion of Kalisrael, as you know, was in that situation. And they, Mamish, uh, you know, had to live with this. Uh, I was kind of lucky in my case. My parents were more on the normal side. I think it's because they were older at the time of the Holocaust. My father was 40. My mother's in her 30s. But I had a lot of friends growing up that their parents were nuts. And it's not the fault of the parents. I'll say it again. It's not the fault of the parents. What they went through, you know, you see your whole family killed in front of you. You become the Shorim Bachem, Yimako Bavonom. 
You understand? And you have multiple volume, and you can't be normal after all that's over. You can't be normal. Now, how the Rosh has it worked out, I don't know. Uh, all we know is there is a Tokacha, and it has happened many times. Okay? And everything I just said is extremely antithetical to what anybody wants to hear. And to say what I just said is not identical with saying I know why this happened or what particular sins happened. So uh, I hate that, you know, somebody says this is why the Holocaust happened or whatever. Yeah, you don't know that. Or somebody's going to say this is why they had this stampede the other day in the Lagmar. I don't know that. Because uh, we don't know. But on the other hand, uh, we certainly see over here that fortunes and misfortunes don't happen on their own. Because if you say happen on their own, that's the big Avera of Kerry. So, you know, Hashem doesn't want to hear carry. On the other hand, in order to know what God, why God is doing something, you need a Navi. You get it? I think. You need a Navi or somebody like that. And so, we're left with this quandary, but, uh, which, which is religiously very confusing. And I think that's why... Um, they organize the calendar in such a way, the Gemara tells us, that you always do Chukosai before Shavuos, right? Doesn't it say that? They'll have it worked out that the first Tokacha takes place prior to Shavuos, so you don't have that hanging over your head. And the second Tokacha takes place before Rosh Hashanah, you don't have that hang, hanging over your head. You don't want to be in a serious Mechuba and read the Tokacha that would freak out the Oilam, you understand? Especially in the old days. When it was the simple unlettered masses that came to the shul, and that was where the only time they ever got anything Jewish, anything in the Torah. If we were going Matan Torah, and, and then we're going to read the Torah, it would be more or less equal to Kaflam Harkagigas. You understand? More or less Kaflam Harkagigas. Uh, because they say, I guess, look, look at him, so if you don't, you know, in Losish Muli, I'll destroy you. And that's antithetical. To the idea that Shavuos is supposed to be a happy time, uh, you know, lochem, and uh, you know, you, we're, we received the Torah now, hopefully not from Kufl and Harkagigas. You know what I'm saying? And that's what we, that's what we, uh, you know, try to stress. So the interplay, and I'll leave you with this, between the Parsha on the one hand and uh, the coming holiday of Shavuos on the other hand, having to do with whether or not you accept the Torah, whether or not you go into it with enthusiasm, you know, the Chukosei Teilechon and all that, Amelim Torah, versus the other way, is a very, let me put it this way, makes a person, or should make a person very thoughtful as he or she approaches um, this unusual holiday, which I said yesterday re- reminds me of the pronouncing of the Ten Commandments. Uh, anyway, I, I, I think that's a good discussion to have. This Shabbos, how do you see the Tocha? How, how do you, and do you agree with what I said or not agree with what I said? The state of Israel, with all its imperfections, kind of like serves the same purpose uh, that a Bayashani had, except we all hope it's not a temporary business. I mean, you know, the scary part is nobody wants to say that because the Bayashani came and went and nobody wants Israel to come and go. We had that already. Uh, but, you know, it's a. Uh, it's 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 very interesting. Uh, you all knew the Mizrahi world said this is the ratios of the Gula. The Agoda world has never had an opinion on it. You know, they don't know what to do with it. They're, they're like the Barbanel, you know. What What is this? Get it? Is it a Gula? Is it not a Gula? It doesn't seem to me. It's not from. On the other hand, 
it, you can't just say it's nothing. Look what a major thing it is. So we are living in the generation, which I would say the good world is trying to figure out perhaps, you know, how exactly to uptight, as they say, what is the reality of Medina Israel. And there's a couple ideas I think that you can work with as you thoughtfully go through the Tocho this year. And with that, I bid you a good Shabbos. Again, we thank the Zolti family for the um, sponsorship, the grandmother's yard site, and all the rest of it. And with that, I bid you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.